Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. We find it written back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter, the second verse. I am the Lord thy God. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, you also who are worshiping with us by means of the radio, and especially you, my young friends, the 74 high school seniors of our congregation. It is good to be here in God's house this morning, isn't it? And it's nice, radio listeners, to have you also worshiping with us on this day. This, young friends, as you know, is your baccalaureate service. You have come to God's house this morning to hear a message from the Word of God on the occasion of your graduation from high school. The text that I just read from the Old Testament from the book of Exodus is very appropriate for this occasion. Moses had just let the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. They had crossed the Red Sea and they came to Mount Sinai out in the Arabian desert. And it was there that God told Moses to tell the people to get ready that something was going to happen very special on the third day. And they prepared themselves and on that day then they surrounded Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb and we are told that there was a terrific thunderstorm that day and the earth quaked beneath them and there was fire on the mountain and there was smoke and God spoke directly to Moses and the children of Israel that day from Mount Sinai. And young friends, God's first words were these, I am the Lord thy God. What God was saying to Moses and the children of Israel that day was simply this, Will you remember that I who am talking to you, he is telling them, I am the Lord thy God. I am the Lord your owner. I own you. You belong to me. You are mine. You are my possession. You are my property. And that living God, as he spoke on Mount Sinai, through his word, young friend, speaks to you this morning, and he says, will you remember this? Will you write this on your heart? I am the Lord thy God. I am the one who owns you. I own you body and soul. I own you with all your being. I own you, says your Lord, lock, stock, and barrel. You belong to me. You are my property. I am your owner. I am your proprietor. I am your possessor. Write it on your souls. And young friends, you may say, you mean to say that God is my owner? that the Lord is the one who owns me, 
that I belong to him body and soul with all my being? You may say something like this. You may say, I don't believe that's true because I do not believe that God is entitled to be my owner. You may say, what has God ever done for me in my life that God should claim that he is my owner, that I belong to him, body and soul? Is God deserving of the ownership of me and of others that God the Lord, he owns me and possesses me? What in the world, you may say, has God ever done that should entitle him to claim that he is your own. And you've got a right to ask that question. You may say, what has God ever done as I look at my life? What is there about God in his dealings in my life whereby God can say, I am the Lord thy God. I am your owner, young friend. God says, you belong to me. And I'd like to, at this baccalaureate service, bring to your mind some of the wonderful things that God has done for you that justifies God in saying, I am the Lord thy God. I am your owner. You belong to me, body and soul. All oh, the tremendous things which God has done, God deserves to be your owner. God has it coming to him. God is entitled to ownership in your life in the first place. I'd like to mention this. God is entitled to be your owner, to claim you body and soul, because God has given you this priceless blessing. He has given you the blessing of life itself. Do you prize life? Moses, who records these words of God at Mount Sinai, is also the one that tells us how God created the heavens and the earth. How God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth and how God said, let there be light and there was light and how God gave the firmament, the space, the endless spacelessness in the universe. How God separated the dry land and the sea. How God placed on this earth seed-bearing herbs that would produce fruit, live seas. Moses is the one that tells us how God placed the sun to light this earth by day and the moon and the stars, the galaxies and the heavens in their places. How God created birds in the air, giving them life, and fish in the sea, giving them life. And then how God created animals, giving them life. And then when God had created animals, God had created this universe for a special being. And the Lord God, we are told, formed man of the dust of the ground. We were a special creation, and God breathed into man's nostrils, his nose holes, the breath of life, and man became a living soul. This creature received life from God. We were made in the image of God, not according to our body. God doesn't have a body. But we were made in the image of God in that God imparted a soul to you and me, giving us life because our God is a spirit. God has life. Life is a blessing from God. 
Oh, I have stood in sick rooms and I have watched doctors frantically pumping oxygen into lungs, expanding and contracting lungs, hoping that there might be a spark of life and there wasn't any. Man stands before this mystery of life. I saw a shock go through a body where hoping that there might be a spark of life, that the body bounced off of the table with the electric shock that went through it. But there was no life. Man stands before this mystery. God is the author of life. We procreate it, but God has given you life, and God has given you a soul, and God has endowed you, young friends, with talents and abilities, you are a special creation. There is no one else on earth just like you. You have been together long enough, and some of you have been in school together for 12 years, haven't you? And again, some of you again in school, you have noticed the, the variety of talents and abilities among you. You have noticed this, haven't you, young friends? And not one of you, but what you've got some talents. As Jesus said, some five, some two, some one. All of you have some talents and abilities. And you have also noticed how they differ amongst all of you. No two of you alike. Some have more than others. Some have likes and capabilities. And you lack those, but you have others. And yet you have noticed this, that you have some talent and ability that nobody else has. You have said to yourself, God has made me a special creation. There is no one quite like me. When your boyfriend, young girl, young lady tells you there's nobody quite like you, he is speaking a tremendous truth. There isn't. And God, who has given you life, because he has and has made you a special creation, no one quite like you, God has the right, therefore, he is entitled to say, I am the Lord, your God, you belong to me. I've given you life, qualities, and talents. I have made you a special creation. And on this day, this baccalaureate, God would have you write it on your soul. I am the Lord thy God. In other words, God owns me. And when you write that on your soul this morning and hold it for the rest of your lives, then you're going to turn to this God who is your owner and you're going to say, God, you've made me a special creation. You have made no one quite like me. What do you want me to do with my life, God? What is my mission? And I know that brings a lot of problems. You may be saying to yourself, I wonder what I'm alive for. I wonder what my mission is in life. I wonder what God wants me to do. And you may be looking for something dramatic. Oh, it was rather dramatic for Moses. Moses, you remember, was out in the, he was out in the wilderness. He had killed a man, you remember, down in Egypt. He had been raised in Pharaoh's home and he had to flee for his life. He was out in the Arabian desert for 40 years as a simply nothing but a herdsman taking care of his father-in-law sheep. And he came to Mount Horeb and remember the burning bush. He looked and he saw a burning bush and it didn't consume itself. And he stood there and finally God spoke from that bush and said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses got down and God says, take off your shoes for the ground whereon you're standing is holy ground. And then God called Moses and God said to Moses, you are the one that I am calling to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. You may say, there's nothing so dramatic in my life. You may talk 
talk about Isaiah. Several Sundays ago we had the call of Isaiah. When God called Isaiah, you remember God gave him a vision of heaven. And Isaiah said, I saw the Lord seated upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the heavens. And then again he saw the seraphim, and they were singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then the Lord said, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me, send me. You may say, uh, Do I expect something that dramatic when I ask the one who owns me, What am I to do with my life? And then there was Paul, the Apostle Paul. You know, when he's on the Damascus way, this was before his conversion, when he was out to breathe threats and warnings against Christians and to kill them. And I stood on that Damascus way one day, and it, it gives you a thrill, boys and girls, to say, Here's about where, oh, this killer, Saul of Tarsus, he again saw great light. And when he did, he heard a voice, and the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, you remember, said, Who are you, Lord? And the answer came, I am Jesus, whom thou dost persecute. And then Paul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you know, it came to him, you are to be the great missionary to the Gentiles. Oh, your life, the role that you have may not be that dramatic, but I promise you this, if you will ask, God, who is your owner, when you acknowledge him, you may say, God, I belong to you with all my body and soul, my being. God, what do you want me to do? You own me. What do you want me to do with my life? And I promise you, the answer will come if you will listen. I was lying on a hospital bed at the end of my sophomore year in college, and it looked very much like I was going to lose a kidney. And I couldn't make up my mind in life whether I wanted the ministry or whether it was going to be medicine. But I remember lying on a hospital bed, and it looked like a kidney was going to go, and I realized that I belonged to God, and I didn't know again in that humility what God wanted. But the answer came, and God wanted me in the ministry, and there was no bargain. I was willing. But God saved the kidney, and I still have it today. But when you can ask God, God, what do you want me to do? You own me with your life. I promise you this. It's going to be an enthusiastic life because there will be no greater joy that will ever come to you than doing what God cuts you out to do. I addressed a group of insurance men one night, and seated to my right was the president of a large insurance company, so successful. When I finished speaking, I sat down, and he not only leaned over to say thank you, but it was very enthusiastic. It was with a sense of envy, and I wondered, I felt that spirit. And finally he said to me, oh, to God, if I had only gone into ministry. He said, I miss my calling. God called me, and I didn't go. And I've never had the satisfaction, even as president, he said, of this big insurance company, that I know would have been mine if I had just answered the call of God. Be a, a round peg in a round hole. Don't be a square peg in a round hole. Uh, life will not be enthusiastic until you can, because your owner has equipped you for the job. You can say, this is where you want me to be. This is what you want me to do, regardless of how humble it may be. I promise you an enthusiastic life, it'll be worth living. Oh, your baccalaureate, and as we listen to the voice of God on Mount Sinai, and God on that day said, I am the Lord thy God. He reminded us, well, you belong to me. And God speaks to you through his word, and he says, young friends, I am the Lord thy God. I'm your owner. 
You belong to me body and soul. You belong to me lock, stock and barrel. You belong to me with all your being. And God is entitled to ownership because all the tremendous things he's done. You say, what has God done? In the second place I'd like to mention this, which shows that God is entitled to ownership in your life. God has not only given you this precious thing that we call life and endowed you with qualities and capabilities, but God has bought you at a tremendous price. How many of you remember your catechism days? Some of you were seated there on Palm Sunday four years ago, weren't you? And in catechism, remember, we talked about the price that God gave. Oh, as Moses tells us about sin coming into the world and God promising a Savior. Oh, the story about how God again, when man sinned, when man put himself because he was at variance with God in the hands of Satan and hell and sin, how God had to buy man back for himself. And you remember that thrilling story, I am sure, about Jesus Christ. I wonder if you still remember what you said on the day of your confirmation when you talked about the price that was paid for your salvation. Do you remember when I asked you on that day, what do you believe concerning Jesus Christ? And you answered, I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sin, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood, and with his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own, and live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, even as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. Do you remember that? The story of God's Son who came out of the ivory palaces, who is the God-man, went to Calvary, and he paid the price. It wasn't gold or silver, it was his death, that he took on himself your guilt and punishment and all of ours, and he bore the equal of an eternity in hell for the human race. That was the price. God's Son died for you, young friends. It was a tremendous price, and God has given you in Jesus Christ the forgiveness of sins and the assurance of eternal life. Does it mean anything today to know that you have the forgiveness of sins in Christ? To know that when God looks down on your life and mine and God sees again all the sins that you and I may have ever done and to know that because Christ shed his blood on the cross, God takes that blood and he washes your sheet and mine whiter than snow and he doesn't even remember it anymore. He doesn't even know anything that you and I have done, that there is that relationship that we know all is well, and that we have eternal life, that when death comes to you, young friends, it's the gateway to heaven and eternal life. Your body shall sleep in the grave and it too shall be raised from the dead to go into a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. You say to me today, God is my owner. Is God entitled to be my owner? And I say yes. God has done some tremendous things. He bought you at a tremendous price. He has given you life and salvation in Jesus. And when you have that, really nothing else matters, does it? If you'll write it on your soul today that I am the Lord thy God, that God is my owner, I am not my own, I belong to him, then you are going to be determined in life to take Christ with you regardless of the opposition that Jesus meets in the world. Oh, you found out something already. It's hard to be a Christian, isn't it, to take Christ? Uh, some of, you're accused of being a sissy, aren't you, if you believe in this Jesus stuff. Isn't that right? There are those who laugh and who ridicule. The world says we don't want anything of him. 
the most mysterious thing that you and I will find in life. God's Son came into the world to bring the most precious possession that heaven could give. And the world stands and says, no, and it laughs at it. It has scorn for it. Communism says we will wipe it off of the face of the earth. Men will laugh and ridicule you. But I hope you take this Christ with you. Remember, the world doesn't want him. Jesus wept over Jerusalem one day. He looked out and Jerusalem had rejected him. Remember how he cried and he sobbed, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. And the world today just won't do it. What your future is, God knows. Is it Vietnam? Is it going to be a shortness of brevity of life? Oh, let God be your owner and take that Christ. And then this will be your joy. You will be spared an eternity of regret. What is hell? Hell is an eternity of regret. And you'll say to yourself throughout all eternity, Oh, God, turn back the universe and give me yesterday if I could only do it over again. Scarcely does a day go by in my ministry, young friends, but what somebody comes in to see me with vain regret. Why did I do it? When again, it can't be done over again and you can't go back. A horrible thing is to live in regret and to lose your soul is a regret that there is no compensation for. In hell where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, oh, to be spared an eternity of saying, Why did I reject Jesus Christ? Oh, God, why did I? If you write it on your soul, I am the Lord thy God, you'll be spared of that horrible thing called hell, an eternity of regret. That's hell. I am the Lord thy God, so God spoke to Moses and the children of Israel. God says, remember, I am your owner, and God says to you, young friends, I'm your owner. You belong to me, body and soul. You are mine, lock, stock, and barrel. You belong to me with all your being. And you may say, has God proved himself worthy of being my owner? Has God done that which again entitles him to ownership? And I would say certainly he has. Not only that he has given you the precious possession of life, not only that he has bought you with a tremendous price, but God owns you and he's got a right to own you, young friends, because he takes care of you. Moses writes again about the time after the flood when God promised with the rainbow, you remember, that as long as the earth would continue, there would be seed time and harvest and summer and winter and cold and heat. God says, I'll provide the necessities of life. Oh, does God take care of you? Does God plan your life? Is there any rhyme or reason? You know, it's rather interesting. Here was Moses at Mount Sinai. When Moses fled from Egypt at the age of 40 and spent 40 years in the wilderness, when he saw that burning bush, we are told in the Word of God that he came to Mount Horeb. And I want you to know, young friends, that Mount Horeb is just another name for Mount Sinai. God led Moses to Mount Sinai where he saw the burning bush and told him, You are to lead my children. 
so that when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt and he came to Mount Sinai, he had been there before. And he knew that terrain. He knew where he was. God was guiding that man's life. God fed him with manna. They had water. God took care of them. And this God, God, who has a greater right to be your owner than God, who takes care of you? God says, there's no luck. There's no chance. There will be no accident in your life. God says, I will control adversity. Any adversity that comes in your life, God said, will come only by my permission. And God promises you, I'll never put a 10-ton load on a one-and-a-half-ton truck. Don't you ever forget that. Oh, you're going to have troubles. Who doesn't? We've all got troubles, every last one of us. But they will never be unbearable because God will take care. And God says, and I'll overrule every adversity. I'll overrule it that it'll be a blessing from the standpoint of heaven. And you'll see it that I have woven your life like a piece of tapestry, you know. You take a piece of tapestry or a piece of embroidery and you look at it from the underneath side and it's all knots and narrows and all kinds of threads and no pattern, no beauty. But oh, when you look at it from the top side, you see pattern and beauty and you see symmetry. Someday when you look over God's shoulder and you see how God took care of your life, you're going to say, God, it's just perfect. You did it just right. You are my owner. God is your owner. Write it on your soul today, will you? It's your baccalaureate. You're going out from home. Again, your high school days are ended, and God says, I am the Lord thy God. I am your owner. I'm your possessor. I'm your proprietor. You belong to me, body and soul. And if you write that on your soul today, then you're going to say, owner, I'm going to live the way you want me to live. You see these words, I am the Lord thy God, they were the opening words when God gave the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. He said, I am the Lord thy God. Then he said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet the neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet the neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his cattle, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And when you will let God be your owner and you say, God, I belong to you. You're going to live according to that standard of right and wrong. Regardless of what the world says, God says this is right, this is wrong. And when you do, I promise you this. I promise you that life is going to be a life that is going to be most satisfying, most enervating, and oh, so gratifying. You may say, but if I live Jesus Christ and I live according to his standards, won't I miss a lot? May I assure you, and may all these listening today assure you, and I know they will, you won't miss a thing when you live Jesus Christ and you live according to his will to have a good conscience. As you live the standard of right and wrong that God has given because he owns you, you are not your own, there will be, oh, again, the joy of many blessings. In all humility, I, I mention this. It was just this week that I graduated from the seminary in 1931. That makes 36 years, doesn't it? You know, it's a long way from being on a hospital bed wondering whether you're going to lose a kidney or not. Well, then look into life, 36 years in the ministry, and 
and all humility may I say God's been good I still have that kidney not only that but in 36 years in my ministry I have never missed a Sunday for illness that's something isn't it 36 years that God has given me health not once has he taken me from the pulpit on Sunday because of illness I don't deserve that but God owns me oh the joys you may wonder what's this you got around your neck this morning you haven't seen that have you I thought I'd wear it this morning this is called a hood it's a doctor's hood it was placed over my shoulders in 1958 at my alma mater Cap University when I received the degree of Doctor of Divinity I've only worn it one other time. I wore it in 1960 in Minneapolis when the American Lutheran Church came into being, a merger of three Lutheran bodies. We were asked to wear our clerical vestments, and I have put it on today with the colors of Cap University, purple and white. God has been good. Oh, yes, that entitles me as a doctor to be called doctor, but you know, uh, to be called reverend or pastor or preacher or revener, uh, that still sort of fits a little bit better. I, I wear it not again in uh, this sense of selfish pride, but I wear it in appreciation that my alma mater has seen fit to bestow upon me the greatest honor that it can give. But, oh, Again, God owns me and God blesses and God has blessed and yet I look forward and I want you to look forward to something that is even going to be greater. If God owns you, this is what we want and what I want for you and father and mother wanted too. That on the last day when we're all going to be standing before the throne, that God's Son will own you. God has said, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. I have called thee by thy name. The greatest joy, the only thing that matters in my life is on that last day when we're all standing there and God says, I have called thee by thy name. I hope to have my owner look down and say, Hi, Martin. I know you. And I hope he looks down that day and he says, Hi, Jim. Hi, Steve. Hi, Bill. Hi, Mary. Hi, Betty. Hi, Virginia. That's living. Will you write it on your soul today? I am the Lord thy God. God says, Will you remember, young friends, I am your own. Let me call you by your name on the last great day. Oh, walk the glory road, and it's a life worth living. Living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please him in all that I do. Yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free, this is the pathway of blessing for me. God bless you. Remember, God has said, I am the Lord thy God. I am your owner.
Let him own you, and I promise you an enthusiastic life. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.